0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. it
1: has got that fine. And a scintillating
2: hundred here for John Singlis. is first in international cricket. And it's been
3: a magnificent innings.
4: Well played, young man.
5: What a moment that'll be for him. Seven balls. Yeah it's obviously um, really nice to, to sort of get the first one, played a bit of cricket for Australia now and yeah just nice to get the monkey off the back I suppose. Obviously disappointing result though, ultimately we come here and we want to win and um, unfortunately we didn't get to do that tonight. There's obviously a T20 World Cup around the corner so it's really important for us guys to, to get some T20 cricket in before that and there's a lot of spots available and blokes playing for uh, playing for places. So. Um, I wanted to make sure I gave 100% and um, yeah, make a good account of myself. What an innings from Josh Inglis last night. Welcome back to the show. 110 off 50 balls. The Aussies going down at the death. India 8 for 209 after Australia posted 3 for 208. Clearly he wasn't hanging out with, he was pretty fresh last night. Clearly wasn't hanging out with Travis Head uh, the last few days. Uh, Josh Inglis as I welcome in our SEN cricket expert, Bryce Bagain. Bryce, uh, a lot of sceptics around this game, but there's a lot of players that are desperate to impress and it turned out to be a pretty good game of cricket.
6: Yeah, it was a
4: ripping game of cricket, and it just goes to show that uh, the cricket calendar just keeps rolling on, doesn't it? You don't have a chance to breathe and celebrate success too much, although Travis Head made up for the whole nation, I think. He celebrated (laughs) for the whole of Australia, (laughs) and is probably still blowing the cobwebs out and a bit dusty as we speak, but uh, look, it was was good to see someone like Josh Inglis, who was thrust in in Game 2, wasn't he, into the World Cup, and... He played some important innings, although never really took went to the heights. He gets that roll up a bit higher in the order and uh, shows that he is international ready and he's capable. All good signs for that World Cup next year.
5: Tough night for the bowlers. I mean, there's a lot of bowlers in this team that will be pretty keen to impress and give themselves a... A chance to play uh, in that T20 World Cup. Berendorf one for twenty five was pretty impressive, but it was it was pretty tough for the others. Sanger two for forty seven, Alice number for forty four, and uh, Abbott one for forty three.
4: Yeah, look, a touch expensive in their um, in their respective overs. Four overs for most of those guys, but uh, look, it's a good learning opportunity for them, and that, that we know that we've got some reliable big quicks. Um, should they be continuing? I suppose that's a bit of a question mark as well, and it de- depends on what the future holds for those players, whether they still have that appetite heading to a World Cup. But uh, a good opportunity, learning for Tanvi Sanger, How do you get better at it? You, you go over there and you play against the very best spin players on a pretty good wicket, um, and they're, they're you know for the 24 balls, they're going to be really aggressive. You know, if we wind back the clock to um, what what I guess we're a, objectively looking at, you know, we had a test series in India. And then we played some one-day games and everyone sort of rolled their eyes and went, well, what importance is this? Then we look at the importance uh, about eight months later mm. and and it's how we played in the World Cup. All those things come into play. Andrew McDonald, they're very, very astute. They're not just doing it and not making the most of every opportunity for Australia. So all that information comes back in and then it becomes part of the growth process for each of the players in Remember when you did this and how we are going to improve that? What do we do next time? It is such a growth environment. It's incredible what Australian cricket are doing at the moment rather than just looking at pure performance and output. It is growth. It is development. It's all these little opportunities that will come into good stead. It may not be in the World Cup next year, but it might be for these players in four years' time when um, the, the big tournaments come back and around, and they're there ready to go because of these learning activities. It's pretty cool.
5: Yeah, I mentioned the article uh, from Bharat and that he wrote after the, the World Cup final. just all about the planning for the final, the, the bowling changes, You know what their thoughts on the pitch, the, the Indian batters. They're really focusing on do you think Andrew McDonald's got enough credit for what he's done with this team i mean we always talk about the captain and there's a lot of focus on the captaincy of Pat Cummins when he's got it right when he's got it wrong but it was pretty it was pretty hot when Justin Langer lost his position and a lot of skeptics around about you know what sort of job Andrew McDonald could do but is he got enough credit for what he's done with this team in just under 2 years
4: it's a good question Jules and i suppose that's for everyone to to, to make their own judgments on. Look, I'm obviously really close to him because, um, you know, we played our, our whole careers, cricket career careers, correspondent together. You know, we debuted for Victoria around the same time. We did the same for Australia. And uh, we sat next to each other on every plane because McDonald and McGain in the um, alphabetically. <laughs> <laughs> we sat next to each other all the way around. So, look, I know the quality of the man. I know how smart he is. But he was doing those things as a player for his teammates, um, he was helping them grow. Understand, well, you know, you might need to use this, this skill, this development. He was doing that as a as a player. He was a playing coach, I suppose. And that's, you know, Greg Sheppard had a number of them with the fast bowling brigade, and and Andrew McDonald just sharing all that information around. Look, he'll just sit in the background. You know, he wasn't front and centre and probably felt a bit awkward. You know, he was beaming with his big smile, you know, in some of the photos we saw of the celebrations in the room. But he was sitting in the background. He doesn't need to go out there and blow his trumpet and uh, have the brass band and all that sort of stuff. He'll just he just be in the background and know that, you know, he's contributing to the, the, the growth of these players, their enjoyment, their fulfilment. And we, we just need to analyse his record. You know, he's still copping flack halfway through the tournament mm. he was getting copping flack um from you know some experts you know behind a microphone saying that you know there's no legends and they're going nowhere well i think that's you know that's so wrong it's just vastly wrong um and it's ill informed and probably just highlights um you know, maybe their their deficiencies in in seeing what is going on, um, and because it's not spruked out, it's not we do this and we, we we go about it this way. But you can see the results in the growth of these players. It's it's pretty special.
5: It is. We're talking to Bryce Magra- in cricket expert. If you're just waking up, you didn't know the score from last night. Australia going down by two wickets. Uh, second last ball a really good T20 match. Australia posted three for 208. A century from Josh Inglis. 110 off 50. Steve Smith 52 off 41. Uh, India in reply eight for 209. Their greatest ever run chase in a T20 international. We're talking about Josh Inglis. Uh, Alex Carey obviously lost his spot in this team at the start of the, the ODI World Cup. He's ashes... Was okay without being spectacular. I know they're totally different games, but is he getting? Would he be getting a little bit nervous, Alex Carey, about his test spot?
4: Oh, look, I, I don't think so. Um, everyone needs to continue to perform. There's no doubt about it, and I'm sure that he would have wanted to make more runs uh, in the latter part of that series and and have a bigger impact. Um, Look, I, I think he's a, a terrific cricketer, and everyone has the ups and downs along the way. Uh, he'll he gets a, an opportunity to go back. The hardest part of being on the sidelines as the backup, even at the World Cup, is that there's not a lot of cricket to be played. Yes, he played the first game, but you know, would he benefit of playing you know three Shield games back home? Yeah, probably. But he was very much a part of that World Cup winning team, so he wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, you know, a number of players have missed out on those types of opportunities. I guess Adam Zampa and Glenn Maxwell over the last sort of five, six years, it's probably defined their cricket because there's so many white ball mm. opportunities going on representing Australia that they don't get that chance to, to fine tune their skills in the red ball game, although they're both very passionate about playing test cricket. So um You know, it's just the way that, um, I guess, the cricket calendar with the overlaps and things like that, it it occurs. But I think Alex Carey's got a bright future. Um, It's good that we have, uh, and we've probably got another depth as well. You know, the captain is Matthew Wade, and I know he's a bit older in the T20, but he's very much the dynamic player. He can wicket-keep as well. So Australia are blessed for wicket-keeper batsmen who are pretty dynamic and... um, and very capable, but the future is still strong for Alex. Uh, Even if it does mean, you know, he plays one form of the game Mm. for now, um, but how lucky are we that we've got this incredible depth. And he he may find his spotting the team as just a pure batsman as
1: well.
5: PM 11 was named yesterday for the match against Pakistan uh, starting on December 6th. It's an interesting squad and it looks like a, a good old-fashioned uh, bat-off for the opening spot. You've got Cam Bancroft, Marcus Harris and Matt Renshaw in the team. Of those three, have you got one that that might have their nose in front in terms of being the next Australian test opener or who will get the first opportunity?
4: Um, my, my feeling is a couple of things. Just around the Prime Minister's 11, I don't know whether Elbow's pulled this together. He wants to see the bat-off, so it's his team. So, you know, he gets to pick the team. I think a s- sense that's a sense of theatre, Elbow. Kind of yeah. <laughs> He, he, that's what he's setting up, exactly, Jules. But uh, look, I think it's Marcus Harris. Um, he, he was he was there as the next in line, and he, his recent form's been pretty good. Um, he, he, he made a big score at the Junction Oval, and we know that's a run fest most of the time there. And then he backed it up with a really capable innings in tough conditions uh, at the MCG as well. So I think he's the next in line. He, He has been that player, and I think he's been judged in that position, although he started a little bit lean uh, with a game up uh, against Queensland in Mackay early in the year, a shield game he missed out on. But uh, the runs have now come for him. Um, Cam Bancroft keeps tuning out um, the currency they talk about, don't they, Um, of runs, and he he does that um, better than most. He he still does it with a... uh, and I'm not picking on any players. I never never would around this sort of stuff. But it's a, it's a curious method in which he does play. And sometimes at the higher level, um, just about outside in on the way he drives and plays through the offside. And it can be exposed a little bit at the higher level. But what he's doing at domestic level is consistently making runs. You can't deny that. Um, and he's doing it in all forms, to be perfectly honest, not just shield cricket. There's a player that I really like is Sam Whiteman. Um, mm. I just like the way he goes about it. I've said that a few times, I know, but uh, I, I think he could be a capable international player. He has all the attributes, I think, that can translate really well up into that top level. So, look, there's, there's a number of them there in their accounts. Um, I've got a feeling that Usman will go on for quite some time, to be perfectly honest. I think he's just got this appetite for cricket. He's found his right formula, and it's just around being happy and enjoying it. He batted quite well at the MCG. He and Boland in the most recent Shield game, Queensland playing Victoria there. I got to see um, both innings from um, Kawaja, and it was an incredible battle. Scott Boland's so good against left-handers, so good at the MCG. It's bouncy, it's quick, it's seeming, and Kawaja did a really good job. It's a good tune-up for him, even though his scores weren't that great, but uh, I've got a feeling he'll go on for a long time, and we know Dave Warner's put a flag in the ground when he finished up on Red Bull, so... Um, It's a long way to answer it, but I just want to fill in a bit more of the gaps rather than, oh, yeah, obviously he scored runs, chuck him in.
5: Yeah. It's a great time for Australian cricket. Uh, There seems to be a lot of depth coming through and uh, it should be a pretty interesting summer again. Uh, Bryce, as always, uh, thanks for your time and uh, have a great weekend.
4: You too, Jules. Have a ripper.
5: Bryce McGain, SEN Cricket Expert. You can hear him across the station over the summer. BBL and, of course, all the SEN Test Cricket uh, coming up. We can take your calls for the all-new Sherry Tigo 7 Pro SUV, available now from just 39990 Drive away. Mick Ablett, not too far away. We're going to talk the AFL National Draft. After the news, the clubs do some really interesting things with their social media and their online content out of the draft. And the Giants put up this seven-minute video about uh, some of the behind-the-scenes Discussions before the draft featuring their uh, head of recruitment, uh, Adrian Caruso. We'll play you a couple of minutes of that after the news with Monique Dews. Welcome back to the show. AFL National Draft pre-season and rookie draft is done for 2023. Mick Ablett did a great job on the Fox footy coverage and also has been great with Sam Edmund over the last six weeks giving us a preview. So it's time to review with Mick who joins us. Hello, Mick.
1: Morning, Jules. How are you,
5: mate? I'm very well. I hope you're well as well. Just interested to get your thought, overall thoughts on the draft. I thought that first night in particular was as good as we have seen in terms of interest and things changing in two or three minutes. I'm so just interested to get your thoughts on particularly how that first night worked.
1: I couldn't agree more. I, I thought it was the best round one I've ever been involved in, Jules, in my time. I, I just thought it had everything it had academy players that had father-sons that had bids it had trades and you know and then to get out to, to 29 picks I thought it was something we should celebrate I know there's been a lot of chatter around you know the Northern Academies mm. and the Gold Coast Suns getting access and all this sort of stuff but gee whiz I mean at some stage how about we celebrate the positives and that's a fact that you know round one's gone to 29 players and it's just great for the game so I think it was the highest rating Round one, um, from what I understand, from a broadcast perspective. And no surprises with all the build-up that we have through social media and the excitement around the talent that's coming through. I I just thought it was a remarkable night.
5: Yeah, the the Gold Coast Academy stuff, it's been, I don't know, but I think it's been a bit of of whinging, to be honest. But just on the... The NGA Academies for the other 14 clubs. So we saw four players between picks 28 and 39 selected by other clubs. Lance Collard, who was tied to West Coast, go to St Kilda. Mitch Edwards, tied to Frio, went to Geelong. Uh, young Toe Jath, who's gone to Collingwood, tied to Hawthorne. And Lamont Lowell, tied to the Dogs, went to Essen. And if we got. There was an outcry a few years ago when Jamara Yugal Hagen was pick one from the NGA Academy and then the rules changed and you can't get them in the the first, you can't match bids in the first 40 picks. Now, have we got that right now, do you think, or does that need another, another bit of a review?
1: No, I don't think we have, Jules. I mean, you can throw Isaac Quainer in in that mix too. He was another one that was, uh, was taken very early in the draft and again, rightfully so. But look, you know, I just think if you use the coach league as an example, those clubs do a fantastic job at engaging Indigenous talent, engaging multicultural talent. They've already got the players in the pathway. So you know, now that AFL clubs can't match the bids um, inside 40, I understand why there's a, re- a reluctance to invest heavily in the players. I mean, most of the, the guys that they want are the top-end talent that they don't get access to. So that's understandable. If the AFL's giving approximately... Sixty thousand dollars. I think at, at the beginning it was around about one hundred and forty thousand dollars to the AFL clubs to invest in the NGA program. Give that money to the to the coach league clubs, to the sample clubs, to the waffle clubs, you know, so that they can do it better. Because I'm sure if they had an additional sixty thousand dollars or whatever it happens to be, their ability to invest potentially put on another resource and do it even better than what they're already doing it, would absolutely reap incredible rewards. So I I don't think we've got it right. I liked the idea of it. I know what we're trying to achieve. Let the clubs do it. They're already doing it. Give them a little bit of extra cash to do it even better.
5: So would you remove the academies from the AFL clubs? Is that what you're saying?
1: I don't I wouldn't remove them as such because I think it's a great opportunity. If you look at the Gold Coast Academy kids and, and those in the northern markets, we can see it's clearly hmm you know, an advantage that they get to spend time in an AFL club and they develop them. And, you know, some of the guys you mentioned, Jamara eugle Hagen uh, Mitch Edwards, Lance Collar, these sorts of, Isaac Quayner, those sorts of players that have come through the system, it definitely assists them by spending a little bit of time in an AFL club. My point is, in terms of going out, attracting them, engaging them, being able to get them to training consistently and the like, that's the job of, of state league clubs. So put the money back there and let them do it even better than what they are already doing it. And then give the AFL clubs access to bring the players in. And I'm sure they're not going to argue if they get a closer look at these guys over the course of the season. But what they're not doing is actually investing time and money and energy into players that a lot of the time they uh, you know they don't get direct access to. But I still think there's a place for it. I think it's a great idea in principle. I just think the investment needs to go back to the, the state league clubs rather than that money going into the AFL clubs.
5: Yeah, we've got to keep the Northern Academies, no doubt about that. I heard Tony Cochran last night saying you, you can't have it both ways. We lost Tom Lynch and Stephen May, and we were told, you know, the go-home factor, and you've got to produce your own talent. Now we produce four, and we're going to have have a few more in the coming years and we're still getting criticized. So you can't have your cake and uh, eat it too. Just uh, on um, one of the players that fascinates me is because we had him on the run home prior to the draft. We had him on again last night is George Stevens, who if 10 out of 10 for character and his footy CV stacks up pretty well as well. How did he slip to pick 58?
1: I don't know. <laughs> I don't have that information. He, you know, he's a Coast League Team of the Year representative in the centre. So, you know, and I watched his, his game, particularly for Geelong VFL against Collingwood. And, you know, he had 29 disposals and four clearances. So he's, he's proven at that level against grown men that he's got the capacity to to adapt and, and to jump straight in and perform at a very, very high level. I, I guess the concern is probably going to be that, um, you know, he's not not quite as lean as what some of the other players are. There might be a question mark over his ability to cover the ground. Um, But look, from a character perspective, from what he was able to do and how he was able to perform on field across all levels this year, I'm not 100% sure how he gets through to where he did.
5: He might be the first draftee that goes in and loses weight. He's that strong, just over 100 uh, kilos as a midfielder. So it's going to be a little bit... uh, Different for Georgia. Look, we knew the Gold Coast were going to have a really strong hand with the academy, obviously North Melbourne with five picks in the first round. But now that's all over, is there a couple of clubs you sit back and you go, for the hand that you had, you couldn't have really done much better?
1: Yeah, there was three for me. And, and like you say, you take out um, the, the clubs that had access to the high-end picks, the Gold Coast Suns, North Melbourne. But I, I really liked what the Adelaide Crows did. I thought they had an outstanding Draft in what they were able to do. I mean, you look at the way they got up and and got Daniel Curtin. They got aggressive. They got Charlie Edwards, who's a a 190-centimetre midfielder out of the Sandringham Dragons that really came on late in the year. So I thought they were outstanding. I thought the Bombers, I thought Adrian Dodoro, look, whether that turns out to be his last draft or not, I I just thought for him to get aggressive, I I know that second-round pick was... um, you know that was a, as a result of the Jake Gresham deal, so that was a pick they didn't really possess in the first place. So to get up and, and get Nate Caddy, who I think is going to be an outstanding player, and then to pick up you know Luanne Lowell and and most importantly Archie Roberts. He was another one. Jules, that you know we talk about sliders in George Stevens, but Archie Roberts is surgical on his on his left foot in his ability to find targets and and really hurt the opposition. So. I thought the Bombers had a, an outstanding night. Adrian I did a great job, uh, and my third one was Melbourne. I, I think Melbourne, you know, Caleb Windsor was someone I had a lot, a lot of time for. He reminded me in the way he moved of, of Lockie Whitfield. Yeah, one of those guys that's got the ability to draw forwards into the footy. Um, you know, he's, he's just a, a beautiful mover, and he's the sort of guy that you want kicking the ball. Um, and then Colton Folskope. I'm interested, Jules. I know there's a lot of things that happen in the game. I'm not an advocate for changing rules year in, year out, but I'm not sure how much longer the medical sub's going to stick around for. And and if we get to the point where they drop the medical sub and we have five on the bench and it becomes a a little bit more of a a power game, I think players like Colton Foleskrip are just going to become absolutely vital to club success. And, you know, he sort of looks to me like he's got the potential in another couple of years' time to be a a Christian Petrarca, Jordan Goey type player. And, you know, we've already seen the way he plays up forward in, in the mould of Rainer. So I think I think those three clubs had very, very good nights.
5: Is there one player in particular you were most rap for that they've, they've got an opportunity? Like for me, it was Manor from Werribee. I mean, he has to be on an AFL list with what he did over the last couple of years, and particularly in the grand final. But was, was there one player you're like, I'm just so happy they're actually going to get an opportunity?
1: Yeah, I agree with you. For me, it was, it was Sean Manor, and um, I just think it reiterates the fact that there are opportunities for players that, you know, that get overlooked as an 18-year-old, so we co- constantly tell players, hang in there, you know, there's going to be opportunities, you've just got to continue to work, and it only takes one club to give you a chance, and that's easy for us to sit and say to a young man who's, whose hopes and dreams have been shattered, but it does actually drive that point home that there are still opportunities, so... You know, it was great to see Sean Manningo and the other one for my jewels was Kelsha Deer. I, yeah. I just thought, you know, in that moment, for him to get his opportunity to to pull on a Hawthorne Footy Club jumper and follow in the footsteps of his late father, who was, you know, one of the great champions and former Norm Smith medalist, and for the family uh, to be able to celebrate that success. and. And actually, cried some some tears of joy instead of some tears of pain. Mm. I just thought it was one of the um, one of the great moments of this year's draft.
5: Absolutely. And Mick, in about a minute before I let you go, it was meant to be a shallow draft this year. We had 64 players uh, selected. Uh, putting our uh, forward-thinking hats on, how are we looking for next year? You got you know some names that stand out: Camperelli twins, Scotty Welsh son Tyler, Levi Ashcroft. Uh, how strong or weak is next year's draft looking? Because every year they say it's thin. And it doesn't turn out to be.
1: No, it's amazing, Jules, isn't it? Every year is a shallow draft as long as I've been been in the game, which absolutely infuriates me. You know, 64 picks, I think, reiterates uh, the fact that it certainly was far from that. And guys like Ari Schoenmaker going within the last couple of picks, George Stevens, it's just rubbish, and I wish, uh, wish that would cease at some stage and we'd be a little bit more positive. But looking to next year, it looks heavily dominant from a midfield perspective. There won't be the tools. I mean, the amount of guys that were over 200 centimetres this year, which came into the competition was something I've never seen before. So I thought positionally there was, you know, there was something for everyone this year. Whereas next year does look an exciting group. It looks to be a very classy midfield group. So that's something to look forward to. But, no, not necessarily the um, the breadth of tools that we had in the 2023
5: draft. Uh, it was a fantastic draft. As you say, that first night was absolutely uh, compelling viewing. Um, we look forward to it happening all again next year. Mick, thanks for your time uh, on the captain's run over the last six weeks. Our audience have loved it. And, uh, well done to you and the Fox footy team for your coverage on the two nights of the draft.
1: Uh, thanks very much, Phil. appreciate the opportunity and all the best to those young men on their journey forward.
5: Mick Ablett, uh, AFL uh, talent uh, Absolute guru who's been fantastic uh, on the captain's run over the last six weeks. Huge weekend of motorsport coming up, the final F1 of the year, but more importantly, the final weekend of the V8 supercars. It's the Adelaide 500. The title's still to be decided. The Constructors' championship still to be decided. And there's only one man to speak to about all this. His name is Tim Hodges, and he joins us this
6: morning. G'day, Tim. G'day Jules, I'm not sure about that but yeah it's a special weekend for motorsport and uh, I just think anytime we have the, the street race back in Adelaide it's um, it's a special place for so much motorsport history in this country from the mid-80s when Formula One went there it's I still think it's the best street circuit ever built in world motorsport and it's awesome that it's set up for our Aussie V8s and it's a, a great spot for the grand final and um, it's fitting that it's the championship is still very much up for grabs this year.
5: Well, we couldn't get on to Martin Brundle, so we gave you a call. So I was just being <laughs> kind in the introduction. But uh, speaking of the championship, it'd have to be a, a pretty disastrous weekend, wouldn't it, for Brody Kostecki not to walk away with the championship? Just take us through the, the machinations between him and, and Shane Van Gisbergen.
6: Yeah, so Brody Kostecki, and I know a lot of your audience probably have never heard of the bloke, and he's a, a young guy in motorsports, league, you know, just 26 going into this season, had never won a supercar race, and now he's on the verge two days away from claiming the championship. Um, such has been his ride It's been phenomenal. He basically just has to – he has to be conservative this weekend and just – all he has to do is finish eighth in both races. Tomorrow, the 250-kilometre leg one, and then on Sunday, the final 250K race. And if he finishes eighth in both of those, then the championship is his. Shane van Gisbergen is 131 points behind in the championship, so he basically needs to win both races and hope that Kostecki um, either has an accident or a mechanical issue that takes him out of one of the races. That would, I, I tell you what, if that happens tomorrow, yeah. John, we, we have got a serious grandstand finish on Sunday. But I think, and I sort of hope that Kostecki plays the smart game. He doesn't have to be winning the race. He doesn't have to be on pole position. He just has to be smart, get the points, and walk away. Um, as one of the you know most unlikely champions we've seen so early in his career. It's just his third full-time season in supercars, so it would be awesome for him to, to be crowned the champion by Sunday evening.
5: When we speak motorsport, it's thanks to Shell V-Power, Fuel the Race Day feeling. Just on that, Tim, how difficult is it for a driver to be conservative?
6: Well, that's, and this is a track that you don't want to try and be conservative at, but this is a tr- race track that, you know, this afternoon, they're going to have the, the second practice session at one o'clock, and then it's qualifying this afternoon for tomorrow's first race. This is a racetrack in Adelaide that can destroy cars and can take you out for an entire weekend with an accident on Friday. That's, I mean, that's sort of hanging over Kistecki's head. So that's why I just think that it is a smart play to be conservative. He doesn't have to be making sure he's in the top 10 shootout. He doesn't have to make sure he's on the front row of the grid. That's just that would I've, For mine, that's just a dumb play by him. So just just, just pull it back a little bit and make sure you're, you're comfortable, you're, you're inside the, the top 10 at points, and then make sure you're, you're... He's a good enough racer there. He's got a good enough car underneath him, that Erebus Chevrolet, that he should be fine. Uh, I know he's a racer that he'll probably be trying to get pole. He'll probably be trying to win the race. But I, I would just wire it just pull it back a little bit if I'm Barry Ryan the boss of Erebus I'd be saying just be smart this weekend just tick the boxes you have to bank the points you have to and walk away the champion of this sport because you know Shane Van Gisbergen this is his final Mm. weekend in in the sport of supercars before he gets goes to America he's off in a fortnight's time to the US to, to start his NASCAR journey so he'll want to go out on the ultimate high um he loves nothing more than to hunt people down, which he'll be doing this weekend. So I think I'll be surprised if he's not winning one of the races across the weekend. So he'll try and put maximum pressure on Kostecki. But all Kostecki has to do is be is be wise behind the wheel this weekend and he walks away as a, as a champion.
5: What's his legacy, Shane Van Gisbergen? And as you say, it's his last race. He hasn't ruled out coming back uh, in the future. Three-time champion, if it all goes his way this weekend. Could be four-time, three-time Bathurst winner. What, what's his legacy to the sport?
6: Oh, it's, it's a, he's a guy who's been around for a long time and you still don't know much about him. He's very difficult, as, as I'm sure you've seen and you've experienced before in the media, that he hates nothing more than to do media interviews. He hates nothing more than to let people into his life. Apparently, he's you know, he's witty and engaging. His team says, we never see that because in <laughs> the media, he's life. always, you know, he, he's, yeah, he's he's a perfectionist at one or two word answers, which is infuriating for for you guys on the radio. Um he rubs a lot of people up the wrong way. Um, and then he's been, you know, he, we love a tall we, I mean, we, we love to hate a tall poppy in, in this country. And he has been so dominant for, for such a short amount of period, I guess, that everything he's touched has been race wins, has been champion, championships, has been Bathurst 1000 titles. And I think we've got a bit sick of it. Um, so I think the sport will almost be better when he's not there next year.
5: Hang on for me, T. I'll get to you on the other side of the news. I wanted to wrap up on the V8s and also wrap up on the Formula 1 season, which hasn't really been a race uh, for the championship. But uh, Las Vegas last week was interesting. Uh, We finish in Abu Dhabi uh, this weekend. So I want to get your thoughts uh, on that. Just a reminder to Ian Baker Finch, Daniel Garb, Miles Fitzner, and Simon Orchard. Coming up, but let's get the latest from the newsroom and we'll return with Timmy Hodges. Thank you, Monique. We're talking to Tim Hodges, All Things Motorsport, V8 Adelaide 500 Championship on the line this weekend, and also the former. Final Formula One race. We know Max Verstappen won that title a long time ago. Tim, we spoke to you in the lead up to the Las Vegas Grand Prix last week. Uh, In motor racing parlance, a bit slow off the grid, but uh, got stronger as the race went on.
6: Uh, Day one was a um, it was headfirst into the concrete wall for the (laughs) organisers. It was uh, it was unfortunate, and um, you know they they planned everything. They thought they'd concrete. You know, even to the point of the manhole covers, they'd actually gone and concreted them all down. But such is the force of these Formula One cars, their aerodynamics, they're basically an aeroplane stuck to the ground, as in going the other way, not taking off. And you can plan for a lot of things and drive a lot of cars over down the strip. But when you've got a Formula One car going down at 350 kilometres an hour with the aerodynamics that come with it, they were just ripping the manhole covers off. So it was a a horrible start to the sport in Las Vegas with the opening practice session abandoned. They then had to go and basically fill all the manhole covers up with sand and concrete uh, which took a, an unbelievably long time, and in the, the second second practice session, wasn't until 2:30 a.m. local. Like it was, uh, it was unbelievable. <laughs> it's just the the fact that it happened and the practice session began at that hour. We we shake our heads at some tennis matches starting late at Rod Laver Arena, yeah. but for Formula One still to be going at 4 a.m. in Las Vegas. Um, uh, yeah, day one was not a good start. Thankfully for for the sport, the rest of the weekend went off without a hitch, and the Sunday race was. Um, I, I think clearly the best Grand Prix of the year, which uh, probably ticked a lot of people off who were death-riding the Las Vegas event. But, um, yeah, I think if you look back and look at the pictures and, and um, how amazing it looked, I know there will be a lot of things that they'll fix for year two, but um, pretty remarkable that they actually got that event up.
5: Max Verstappen, unprecedented dominance this season. Should we expect the same again next year, or, or can we get some more competitive racing in terms of, people challenging max more often next season
6: oh julian but god by god i hope it's a more competitive season i mean it has been the longest season in the sport of formula one and the most lopsided season we've ever had and it's you know in the past we've had dominant teams but you've had two dominant drivers from the same team who are at least duking it out each week i mean this season apart from a couple of wins early on for sergio Perez, he's never really been a factor and um yes he's won twice but his teammate has won 18 times like it's been ridiculous mm. the dominance and and it's been t- to be honest it's been boring and predictable and i think it's really hurt the image of grand prix racing that you know i know a lot of your listeners probably yourself as well Jules like you would have always tuned in for the start of a grand prix now i think you've probably just tuned out going you know who's going mm. to win and even this weekend you know max verstappen is going to win this race at abu dhabi he'll finish with a 19th grand prix victory Red Bull will finish with 21 Grand Prix wins out of 22, like because they are that much more dominant, and he is that much more dominant a driver in the most ridiculous confidence any Grand Prix driver I think has ever driven with. So it's almost like the rest of the field is fighting for second spot, which must be so demoralizing when they're crisscrossing the earth every you know week or second week. They've gone straight from Las Vegas straight to Abu Dhabi to race this weekend they'll be just hanging out for a break because it would be it would be almost depressing for some of the field and the mechanics and the engineers and the media people to be travelling all over the world, in a different time zone every weekend. And knowing full well they're turning up to, to maybe finish second is the best they can do.
5: Yeah, let's hope it's tighter next year. Tim, as always, thanks for your time. hope you get plenty of time on the couch this weekend to uh, watch it all unfold over at Adelaide. Let's hope it's a thrilling end to what's been a great championship season.
6: Yeah, and it's, a, it's an awesome event, and they've got Robbie Williams there Sunday night. So they do put on a brilliant show, the Adelaide 500 organisers. So well done to them. And thanks for talking motorsport,
1: Julio.
5: Absolute pleasure. Tim Hodges, also the final MotoGP this week, as well, has been pointed off. Out the 40 wings temper, thanks to Shell V-Power fueling the race feeling with the Shell V-Power racing team. This is the captain's run for state transport. Our people are your solution. And and Nissan, Navara's in stock at and Nissan. Too easy. Coming up on the other side of the break, the great Ian Baker Finch. Welcome back to the show, the second round of the Australian PGA Championship at Royal Queensland underway. Ben Eccles, three under in his second round, got it to minus six. Uh, Scott Strange, uh, a couple under for his second round, got it to minus six as well. One man watching all the action and bringing it to you on our TV screens is the one and only Ian Baker Finch. Ian, thanks for your time.
2: No worries at all. Good morning. Good to be with you from uh, Queensland. It's a lovely day today and uh, the, the scoring continues to go low.
5: Yeah, very low yesterday. Just on yourself, uh, nice to be back home. How many weeks a year do you spend back in Australia?
2: Uh, I'm three to four months a year here and the, and the rest of the year there working for CBS and uh, the PGA Tour. Uh, and my, my two daughters... And their husbands and now a couple of granddaughters live there as well. So um, it's hard to, to bake my wife away from the <laughs> grandkids. So, But we get back as often as possible.
5: Uh, magnificent. You mentioned the scoring was pretty low yesterday and some of the big names went really low. You know, Minwoo Lee and Adam Scott, really good first rounds. Not so much for the defending champ, Cam Smith, out early, two over, 10 behind the leader. He's got some significant work to do this afternoon to to make sure he's there on the weekend.
2: He certainly does. I think even par will be the cut. It may even go as low as one under if the wind dies down. So, um, yeah, he needs something in the 60s today. And to really be around on the weekend, he, I'd like to see him go 66, 65 if possible today to sort of just let his presence be known.
5: What about Minwoo Lee? He's turned into such a consistent player. He's number 45 in the world now. Is Is he the sort of guy that you can see mm. in the next couple of years, really contending at the majors and potentially even breaking through and winning a major title?
2: Yeah, 100%. He has the ability. He's just got sort to of match up the, the work ethic and the ability and the self-belief uh, to go to that next level. But it's good. Once you break into that top 50, you're invited into the majors, you're at a different level. And uh, that's that's where Min Minwoo is at the moment. Uh, he's got a stable home life when he gets home now. He and his girlfriend Gracie, I was at the dinner with them and sat at their table the other night. They're, they're doing well. Yeah, def- definitely has the ability. There's no doubt.
5: What do you, what do you like about his game?
2: Uh, he hits it far and he, has, um, he doesn't worry about what's going on. He seems to be good in big moments. Um, so you match that up, that ability, the ability to focus, the ability to be able to handle the big moments with, with uh, the, the distance and length and speed that he has. Uh, it, it all goes together very well.
5: We're speaking to Ian Baker-Finch, uh, the second round of the Australian PGA Championship at Royal Queensland underway. Of the other young Australian players around at the moment, we have always producing good young golfers. Is there a couple to you that you really like the look of?
2: Yeah, there, there's been some good ones for quite a while coming through. I've I, I uh, been watching Louis Dobler for a long while. Uh, there's another... Bunch of young guys about that age coming through that just haven't quite done it yet. Uh, Elvis Smiley, yep, uh, another young lefty that uh, I've known since he was born is Liz Smiley's son. He uh, shot three under 68 yesterday. Uh, Cam Davis, I think he has the ability to be something very very special. He's got the best swing in the world, um, and then of course uh, you know Lucas Herbert, not so young anymore, but he's doing really well as well. 66 yesterday and playing well today. Curtis Luck, just had a hole in one, I can tell you. Good luck to Curtis.
5: We'll see the party hole hole in one? Very nice. Yes,
2: yes. So I'm sure you'll see that when the TV comes on. We'll have a have a recorded shot of that, I hope.
5: Absolutely. And uh, just on the first-round leader, fair to say a surprise to most, uh, Moscato out of Spain, 8-under, ranked 1,162 in the world. Uh, this is his biggest moment in golf today and potentially over the next couple of days.
6: Yeah,
2: exactly. Sixty-three yesterday. You know, all of these guys have the ability to go low and shoot scores like that. Whether you can do it on a Sunday to win is another thing. Um, Cam Smith's proven that he can. Adam Scott, of course. You know, guys like that—they they can get it done when the heat's on. But uh, young guy, um, good-looking young pony. I, I think you <laughs> have a lot of uh, the female galleries out watching him today. Joel Moscatel, and um, whether or not he can shoot another sixty-three, we'll have to wait and see. But it's good for him. It's good for the confidence for a young guy, first year out, to uh, go do something like that.
5: Yeah, good looking and hits a good golf ball. They're annoying, those uh, sort of people. Just, you uh, know, golf <laughs> in general, it's been a really turbulent 18 months. Uh, and, and a lot of us think it's, it's pretty sad, everything it has gone on. You, you've seen it close up in the United States. Do you sort of feel the same way?
2: Yes, I'm I'm disappointed with, uh, as you said, turbulent times. It's a very polite way of saying it. It's been a real uh, tough 18 months to to understand and and to plan for the future. Um, Golf is golf. In a lot of ways, you could say that it's brought a little bit more attention to the game. Um, Maybe brought some more people in, which is what we're all about. But the PGA Tour is uh, the pinnacle of the sport. We all aspire to get to the US PGA Tour. Uh, The Australian PGA Tour, the Australasian Tour is a pathway tour through the DP world uh, into the US. That's that's what these young guys are after. Uh, We've got 18 tournaments here in Australia for the the young Australians to play in to to prove their worth and to get a spot uh, on the DP world or into the Corn Ferry perhaps in the US and then onto the main tour. So that's still, for me, that's the world of golf. And then you've got the... um, the Live Tour, which is 48 players, play 54 holes, sort of team event, a bit more pizzazz, a bit more fun perhaps. I know it was a big success in Adelaide. We're happy for those people that uh, came to play and had a good time in Adelaide and Australia. But uh, to me, the golf is still you know, the journey. Put the effort in, make your way through, win a few tournaments like the Australian PGA Championship, get your way onto the European Tour and the US Tour and uh, make a name for yourself in the world of golf.
5: So John Rahm has been one that scoffed at suggestions that he would join Live. Now the stories have emerged this week that uh, $600 million US is on the table, that some are saying it's almost a done deal. So we've got December 31 deadline for the three tours to merge, and now we've got stories in late November that John Rahm might be going to Live for $600 million. It, it, it It's very hard to follow where this is all going to end. It's
2: a lot of money, isn't it? It is a so, lot of money. <laughs> how could you? How could you possibly turn that down? It's like when Cam Smith was offered 120 million US, almost 200 million Australian. I'm like, mate, it's uh, it's very hard to turn down that money. That's a, that's a generational money. For John Rahm, though, triple that, um, quad, uh, well, five times, 600 million US. Um, I don't think he'll go. My gut feeling is he'll stay. He wants to stamp his name on the, uh, on the the history in the history books of world golf. Uh, I don't think he's going to do that by playing in 54-hole party events, personally. But the good players will still be able to play in the majors. So maybe he thinks, oh, I'll take the money, I'll play over there, still play the four majors and win a few. Um, we'll have to see where he goes. But my gut is that he won't, and he's told us that he won't. So we'll have to wait and see.
5: Can you foresee where we're going to be? in two years' time, where this is going to get to? Is there still going to be a a live tour? Is, are they going to come together? Are they going to work something out?
2: I don't see how they come together. But if, if uh, the PIF fund and Saudi Arabia and uh, the people involved, if they continue to fund uh, to the turn of a billion dollars a year or thereabouts... Uh, the Live Tour may continue, you know, sort of like a a Formula One Tour traveling the world, 14 weeks. Um, But I I don't see it ever merging. It's a different product to what we offer. This is real golf. And uh, the the top players, apart from two or three, you know, obviously, Brooks Kep is one of the best players in the world. He plays at Live. And uh, I'm not taking anything away from their ability. They still have to play well. But they're not playing against the best week in, week out. We'll have to wait and see if they're... uh, if their abilities diminish or not, Books Koepka certainly didn't, and Cam Smith looks like he's maintained a pretty good standard. Um, I, I don't see how the merger happens. I think we'll have to see how it goes, and whether the US tour uh, gets a private equity line of credit. You know, whether they uh, change the way they do business. Not sure.
5: I was going to ask you that. You sort of answered it in that question there. But do you think over time it it, it the sort of the sharpness off the game of a Cameron Smith and a Mark Leishman and, and Cam's been pretty good so far, but not playing against the best, not playing 72 whole tournaments regularly. does it, In the long term, does it hurt your game?
2: I would think so, but there will be others that say the opposite. They'll say, oh, no, they're only playing 14 to 20 events per year. They're in better physical shape because they're playing less. Uh, there's a little less stress on them because they're all being paid so well to, to be um, on the other tour. So maybe they, they free-wheel it a little more when they do come to play in the majors. So there's two lines of thinking. But to me, I think you hone your game by playing against the best week in, week out. And um, <laughs> to be honest, and once again, not taking anything away from any of the guys that have won over there, can you name one tournament that anyone won? I mean, it's just, oh, someone won a 54-hole event over on the other tour. It's, it's not... It's not like we won, he won the Australian yeah. PGA Championship or he won the Australian Open or he won something big. It's he, he won one of those tournaments. And uh, I, I think that has something to the whole credibility of it all as well.
5: Yeah, I think a lot would agree. Just finally, before I let you go, Ian, uh, who do you think will be holding the Australian PGA uh, trophy come Sunday night?
2: I think it'll be Wu Lee.
5: Beautiful. I think a lot of people would be very happy with that result. Ian, always a pleasure to catch up. Uh, Enjoy the Australian PGA over the next uh, three days.
2: I will do, and and the same to you and all our listeners. Uh, Great to be with you as always.
5: Great to have Ian Baker Finch on. What a champion golfer and a champion broadcaster. He is now, you can hear him, on the Channel 9 coverage over the weekend at the Australian PGA. Welcome back to the show. Julian DeSuit sitting in for Sam Ed, but He's on dad duties. He's doing breakfast. He's a busy, busy man. Uh, Sam, a big last hour coming up as well. We're going to chat to Daniel Garb very shortly about the return of the A-League this weekend. Uh, Sam Kerr scored a hat-trick overnight for Chelsea uh, in the Champions League. She keeps continuing to do what she does, and that's score goals. At Will and also Simon Orchard will join us and Miles Fitzner uh, to round off a big show before we speak to Dwayne Russell. uh, Thanksgiving in the States, a big NFL game uh, on today between Dallas and Washington. We'll give you the updated score there in a sec. So if you don't want to listen, just cover your ears for a sec. Uh, Catch every NFL game this season with Game Pass only on DAZONE. That's D-A-Z-O-N-E. Visit nfldazone.com.au. Dot .au slash NFL uh, for all your NFL this season. Uh, so a lot of eyeballs on this game. It was about 42 million on this game a couple of years ago involving Dallas. This time it's the Cowboys and the Commanders as we start the fourth quarter. It's Dallas 20, the Washington Commanders 10 uh, in Thursday night football. Big weekend of the World Game this weekend, as we say. It was international break. A couple of good wins for the Socceroos in early World Cup qualifying. Uh, Daniel Garb, he'll doing some hosting on SENWA over the summer, which is sensational. Just uh, a man of many talents, Daniel Garb. And he joins us this morning. G'day, Garby.
0: Hello, Jules. SEN Sydney. They're not quite flying me to uh, to Perth for the honour, so uh, we'll keep it local. But uh, some SEN Sydney presenting over the summer, which should be enjoyable. We will
5: go all around the country. Don't worry about that. Uh, great to have the A-League back. It's been a great start to the A-League season. Uh, some... Juicy fixtures this weekend, but none more than the Sydney Derby, the the top-of-the-table Wanderers. I know it's only one game, but uh, under their new manager, Sydney FC look rejuvenated.
0: Yeah, what a turnaround it was for them. After Steve Corica departed, they go over to Adelaide and knock off the Reds 5-1 in uh, Hukhtali's first game in charge. So it set things up beautifully for the Derby on Saturday night. The Wanderers were always expected to be a side that would contend for the title this season. Uh, So their fans are certainly up and about, and... uh, I would imagine that it would be tricky for, uh, for Sydney FC to go there and, and, or to host them and try and get something from it. So, yeah, it should have a wonderful atmosphere. Both sets of fans will be in, uh, in full voice, and uh, we'll see if Sydney FC can keep things going or if that was the old, just the old managerial bounce back from uh, Ufuk his side in that first outing uh, as manager.
5: Yeah, it was a great, great response. I don't think anyone saw that happening over in Adelaide, given the start to the season that uh, Adelaide had made. Uh, Victory's made a solid start. They play MacArthur this mm. weekend. Uh, Melbourne City take on the Phoenix. It's been a, it's been such an interesting start, hasn't it, Garby? You know, City, poor start, new manager, Sydney the same, Central Coast yet to get off the mark, just on the the Mariners. And we know they had a lot of change, Nick Montgomery going, some significant players going out of that club as well, but... How long will they give Mark Jackson if results continue to
0: go the wrong way? Yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's a bit sad, to be honest. And it happens in the A-League far too often. Maybe not as much with the big clubs. Like if you're, if you're a big club and you have a, a title-winning campaign, it's a bit easier to keep hold of of your talent. But when we have a story out of the box like Central Coast last season, then they go and lose four or five players and lose their manager. It's just so much harder for them to replace them. And... It's just, yeah, it's a shame when you watch the hype around the club last season and all that energy, and then it's dissipated so early in this campaign because they lose so many and they've just had a horrific start. So yeah, I don't know how long, and the word we're hearing is that they all still like him and there's no real issue there. There's a lot of people who are supportive of him as, as coach, but they need to get some results on the board very quickly, of course, because... Uh, it has been a very ordinary start up to what they were able to manufacture last season. The victory gained against MacArthur tonight is tricky. Mm. MacArthur have been one of the surprise packets of the opening four weeks or so. And Milo they're a club that cops a lot of criticism, a lot of mocking. Uh, for Some of it fair, but on the field this season, they're just going about their business quietly and consistently. And I think Tony Popovich and his side will know, despite it not being an imposing place to go in terms of the... Uh, the home crowd or anything like that. They've got a challenge on their hands. So that'll be a really interesting test for them coming off the break.
5: Yeah, but four undefeated sides, uh, MacArthur, along with Wellington Phoenix, Victory and Western City. It's been a big week for uh, Australian football. Uh, the licence in Auckland, we know Bill Foley's got plenty of cash, Las Vegas mm. NHL team, Bournemouth in the English Premier League. It didn't work uh, in Auckland last time. Are you confident this licence uh, will be a success?
0: I think it's a smart move. I mean, Wellington have got their act together, but as we've seen throughout history in the A-League, derbies have been massive accelerators for the competition. And we saw it in Sydney, obviously. It was the same in Melbourne. You know, Melbourne City might not have the biggest supporter base, but the derbies are still special encounters. And I think New Zealand football needs that. You know, there's, they've got a lot more to offer us than what they are at the moment. And Auckland is providing that. Of course, you need the right people behind it and you need the right set up. And in Bill Foley, they've got that. I mean, he owns uh, the golden Knights in the NHL. They just won the title. Uh, he's obviously got massive football connections, mainly with Bournemouth and the premier league. He's bullish. He's a billionaire. Those things help enormously. So yeah, if they can get a massive city in Auckland uh, behind the team and they've got that derby going against Wellington, then it should add a lot more to the competition. But yeah, uh, As we've seen in the past, these new franchises don't always work out, but they've got to be bold, the owners. This was always their plan, so they've got to follow through with it to expand. And and this one does seem like a good fit.
5: National second tier, the eight clubs, uh, initial eight clubs announced this week, I think seven of those had previously been in the NSL, all come out of Victoria and New South Wales so far. We know there's going to be some more licenses granted. Surely they're not. Is there a chance any more come out of Victoria and New South Wales? Or surely if it's going to be national, we've got to get some teams in from other states.
0: Yeah, you'd like to think so. I mean, there's been an issue with football Queensland and and that's obviously been a little setback for uh, the national second division out of South Australia and then Western Australia as well. I mean, I think the the flight costs and and the travel costs were prohibitive in the first season for teams from those states, but hopefully that can settle after a season or so. Look, it's a—it's an important step. It's a landmark moment, really, for the game. It's got a long way to go before it's at a point where we all wanted to be, the end game of promotion relegation. But I think we certainly needed another league in the meantime between the NPL and the A-League um, to hopefully close that gap, to get to promotion relegation eventually. It might be a decade away mm. before it's financially viable enough for teams to drop down from the A-League and still survive. But... It's important that we have this this bridging gap and also to lift the prestige and the opportunities, Jules, for so many important clubs in Australian football. You talk of South Melbourne, Sydney United, Melbourne Knights, Marconi, so many others who actually helped lay the platform for the game as we know it in this country so many years ago. They deserve the opportunity to build their clubs once more. A lot of them have done it really tough in recent times. You know, the NPLs are a really good competition, but they, they need a bigger platform. And the National Second Division will hopefully do that because they're being bundled in with the Socceroos and the Matildas in the next broadcast rights deal. So they can get more money coming in. They can rebuild their clubs a little bit before they get to the point of uh, potentially being an A League club again.
5: Speaking to Daniel Gove about all things football, I'll get on to the Premier League in a sec. But just on that, you talked about some of the real famous clubs uh, from the NSL. How many. Fans, do you think the game lost when we understand why the A League was set up and why that they're all new clubs? But how many oh, it's hard to answer. But did, we, did the game lose a lot of fans when when those clubs were not part of of the A League?
0: I don't know about losing a lot of fans. I mean, we've all remembered moments where the A League has been backed hugely. Um, there have been lots of peaks and troughs over the last 17 or 18 years since the A League came into existence. And there have been moments, we all remember the early days of the Melbourne victory. Let's not forget those crowds and how big they were at, uh, at Dockland Stadium and, and so on. So they've, they've been back better in the past, um, but, but there's no doubt there are clubs like South Melbourne and others who don't feel connected. Sydney United is another one, who feel as if they were uh, disrespected when the A-League came in and their contribution to the game um, wasn't given a chance to thrive and, and this hopefully helps bridge that gap and, and rebuilds the pyramid as you like in Australian football because there are so many fans and we see it when the Socceroos and the Matildas mm. come out, don't we, on big stages. All of a sudden, you've got just massive gatherings all around the country and people go, well, why aren't these people at, at A-League games? Because it's fragmented over so many different parts, grassroots, NPL, the A-League, uh, fans who only follow the Premier League and overseas leagues and so on. It comes together with the national team. So the people are there. Hopefully this move helps bring them closer to the A-League and domestic football on the whole in the, in this nation can grow.
5: Yeah, promotion and relegation, however long that takes, will be sensational for the game. Premier League back this weekend. Garby, your Reds, top of the table clash against mm. Manchester City. I guess going into the season, most probably thought Arsenal were the biggest challenges to Manchester City. Are Liverpool on that level with Arsenal, do you think, as genuine title contenders
0: this year? Undoubtedly. I think there was a bit of uncertainty about Liverpool because they had a poor season last time out, missed out in the Champions League, and it was natural to have a question mark over just where they were at. But a lot of people felt the talent was there. It was just whether they were mentally switched on, whether there was enough desire and fight because Jurgen Klopp's been there a long time and some of the key players have been there a while. But they turned their squad over a fair bit in the off-season and signed very well and they've rejuvenated certainly their midfield in their final third and, and the signs are very good early in the season. So this is a massive game. I think yeah, the overwhelming feeling is that it's Liverpool and Arsenal neck and neck really behind Man City as title contenders at the moment. I think from, from a Liverpool point of view, going to a place like the Etihad and taking on City away After the international break is a good time to do so. There's an injury concern over Erling Haaland. Mm. City are in good form. We know that they'll probably win 15 games in a row or whatever in the final (laughs) third of the season. Because that's what they always do. They time their run to the end. uh, And they'll they'll be very strong again, of course. And if you're going to win the title, you'll have to beat them. But this is probably a good time for the Reds to get them off that break. Bit of an injury concern around Portland and, and Liverpool feeling pretty good about themselves. So it yep. should be a cracker tomorrow night.
5: Yeah, it's the early game, which is great. Big game on Sunday night as well uh, for Ange and Tottenham. Uh, they host mm. Aston Villa, uh, fourth place Spurs versus Villa. have made a great start to the season uh, under Unai Emery. The big story in the Premier League since we actually had a ball kicked in anger has been 10-point uh, deduction to Everton. We've got uh, this story with Tottenham this week over the transfer from Jermaine Defoe to Portsmouth way back in 2008. We know uh, uh, Manchester City is still being looked at, 115 charges. Uh, Chelsea's been looked at for some of their transfers under Roman Abramovich. What's happened at the FA? Have have they been asleep at the wheel for a decade? Because all these things are resurfacing and and it doesn't look like, in particular, the one with uh, Tottenham and Jermaine Defoe was ever investigated properly.
0: It doesn't feel too scientific, does it? I mean, there's nothing about it that feels as if they're on top of things right now. It feels very ad hoc. You know, they've come up with something with Everton and they've gone and they've punished them severely, but there are all these charges surrounding Manchester City and have been over the years and yet nothing's been done. Are they scared of Manchester City? Mm -hmm. So they get to a stage where they see these charges and they go, well, hang on. If we bring this on Manchester City with the United Arab Emirates backing the entire club, we're going to sit in a court for years and get nowhere, but we have to be seeing to be doing something. So let's go at Everton. They've breached it. You know, it. It just doesn't add up, you know, part of the pun when you talk about these finances. None of it does. And Everton have good reason to be outraged by this and to feel as if it's a disgrace and as if a smaller club is being targeted. And that's very much the sentiment over there in the UK. And this will be wrapped up in a massive legal battle as well. Don't worry about that. Now there's this talk of Tottenham being deducted points because they signed Jermaine Defoe without an unlicensed agent. But as you say, that happened so long ago. Why is it coming out now? And in the meantime, all these charges, over 115 or whatever they are, are hanging over Manchester City's head and nothing's been done about it. And Chelsea spends over a billion pounds and aren't in the Champions League. Where's the money coming in to balance up there? Mm. Financial fair play. It's just a mess. And they've made it even murkier, I think. Um, in English football with uh, this penalty slapped on Everton.
5: Just quickly, is there any chance that there'll be punishments for Chelsea and Manchester City, whether it's points deductions, there's more financial penalties, there's even been talk of relegation, you can't see that happening. Is there any chance they will be punished at some stage?
0: There's a chance, but there's not a lot of confidence mm. because this has been going on for some time. I mean, there has to be a chance. The charges are still there. and We've seen what's happened to Everton right now, but uh, yeah, there's no confidence that they'll actually have the goal to uh, to slap Manchester City with a serious penalty or Chelsea as well, one that is uh, you know, one that will certainly hurt them.
5: Garby, as always, uh, thanks for your time. Uh, great weekend of football coming up uh, in uh, the A-League and also the Premier League. And uh, it's great to have it back after an international break. Uh, thanks for your time.
0: Thanks, Jules. All the best.
5: Daniel Garb, their tough week for Manchester United to get Everton. Uh, They will be fired up at home. Uh, Melbourne's weather showers developing, top of 25 for city power, supplying power to homes in the CBD and inner suburbs. After the break, the racing caravan heads over to Perth. Miles Fitzner will tip us into plenty of winners, I'm sure, on the other side of the break. He's back, Miles. Fits He's organising his social life. He's doing his tips uh, during the break. He is a busy man, and he's at a mixed week,
3: Miles. Mixed week. Hello to you. Hello to the listeners. Um, very mixed week. We're sort of getting towards the end of of Melbourne Spring. Uh, no good. I was no good on Saturday, and um, unlike Sam McClure, I can put my hand up and admit that I was wrong, and uh, I was I was completely wrong. I won winner from five best bets. We still had patches. More do we went five from eight, but we got lucky. Um, but then Sunday, uh, we bounced back. But uh, hopefully the best can go a bit better this weekend for the team because the last two weeks of best bets haven't been great. So full transparency and responsibility, I've got it wrong.
5: I like Sam, but it's okay to admit it. you got it wrong, and you yeah. got it wrong with Harley Reid, and that's okay. Now, the Group 1 uh, <laughs> focus shifts to Perth and the Railway Stakes at Ascot. Saw Damien Oliver last night on the front bar. He was a magnificent, uh, Damien Oliver. It's going it's to be a big part of the next few weeks back in Perth uh, for his farewell. Uh, we've got the Railway Stakes at Ascot. Uh, two of the major fancy, though, Eastern State strained Tuvalu and Roots. Yes. Um, Does one get the job done? Well, maybe.
3: Maybe. Um, <laughs> 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 wow. Right, Roots has drawn gate 15. Fair <laughs> of Jules. Right, <laughs> two balloons drawn inside, JV Carr, Lindsay Smith. Um, look, I've found a weird way to tackle this race. It's They're wild. Now, Perth racing, for those that don't know, the, the wind plays a massive factor. Easterlies usually favour leaders. And then westerlies normally favor horses with cover. The wind's expected to start easterly and change to westerly. Is that the
5: Fremantle Doctor?
3: Yeah, kind of. Mm. Yep. And it's but it's superbly hot. Like it's 38.39. It's been terrible over there. And so this mm. is where horses are traveling that may sweat up. i tread a bit lightly a bit later in the day, unless you can see a pattern. How I've played this is, let's have, if say we had 100 dollars you try and find a few horses that are probably going to lead on speed that are big prices. Marachino, 20 bucks. Comfort me, $23. And Bustler at $11 are all going to map pretty well. And then, so if you have $20 on all of them, and then you have $40 on Tuvalu at 5 bucks to then win 100 if if they lose. So you, you've got to go wide here. They're the sort of hopes. Maybe Dom Deschutes is probably the other one. Roots from that gate is going to be very, very difficult. It's a very, very good addition. Happy to risk our Savina William Pike. Just burnt me the last two <laughs> two weeks. So um, I'm happy to risk it. Shop overs here in the railway.
5: WA Guineas, Group 2 level, also on the card. Uh, Who do you like here?
3: Another one here where I'm shopping price as opposed to the best horses in the race or the ones I think probably should win. I think Keshi Boom probably won't run. We just heard this upstairs. Yeah. 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 So Keshi Boom probably won't run, I don't think. They might save it. Super Smink, clearly the best, but that'll be about $2.20 or $2.30. You're gonna get a good price about investment strategy, which should lead, and then zip away, which is around the mark and should probably make ground. You're getting $10 for one, $12 the other. Small nibble overs. If you get beaten by a Super Smink kind on of a saver, so be it. But once again, you've just got to spread. It's about making money, not just declaring winners, I suppose.
5: Is it expected to be really hot in Perth again? Super hot. Like mm. I
3: think it's gone 38, 39. It could even be 40. And look, there may be even a chance that these get put off. Okay. Yeah. Yep. That's how hot it is. Yeah. And just a quick shout-out, too. Being a country boy myself, their bushfires are really affecting them over there at the moment. So anyone over west that's battling with the bushfires or whatever, make sure you check on your relatives, look after each other. It's yeah, pretty it's, important. it is, is nasty and stuff. Just,
5: just on being a country boy, I did hear you. I think it was on Cup Day. Trying to say you only had one television station. We
3: did. Mate, yeah, you're not 80 years old. No, well, go and have a look. We only we got two television <laughs> stations in in 2004. We got it's We got the second station. Yep. I thought I was listening to someone that grew up in the 70s when you were talking no, about it. No, I'm only 35. I know. I'm yes. actually 36 ne- this week or next week. I well,
5: think I'm done. you should know. Don't look at us. Yeah.
3: I don't know what date it is, mate. <laughs> That's a problem.
5: <laughs> what about uh, best bets on the program?
3: Right. So, best bets in the West. We'll start early because I think we're going to see how the pattern is. Race one, number three, Diamond Scene, Clearly the best horse in that race, around 250, William Pike staying race. But the best each way there is race two, number eight. Um, King Sicario. I've got one of the Ganjimis on the form lounge coming up at 12. 5.50 and 2.15. Really nice bet this. A good each way. So they're going to be the two plays... At Ascot. But then do you want to go to Cranbourne?
5: Absolutely. Now, the spruik on Foxy Cleopatra is pretty high.
3: They're talking that, that like, the Buster and Young team, like it's their best horse in the stable. I mean, not look, sure about I, that. I, love, I love Trent and love Natalie. They're flying at the moment too, but they do. Trent's, are like, he's a character, and I, I like the chat. I'm actually shot this race a little bit differently. Really, really good horse, really good chance to win Foxy. But there's a horse here called Pounding. Luke Nolan, Peter Moody, Kath Coleman – Ten dollars and two ninety. I can't let it go around at that price in the Cranbourne Cup. Uh, This is a horse that loves a trip. Five from thirteen. This is a horse that hasn't been to Cranbourne. But look, three and a half off. Forgot you and Warning. Forgot you goes east into a Group West into a Group One. Five off Attrition and Antino. Not far behind Redeniere. Wasn't far off Pinstripe than Attrition. Like this isn't the greatest of races. So pounding at ten dollars and two ninety in the Cranbourne Cup's probably me.
5: Grant off the 40 Wings temper, temper and mattress like no other, wants to know if you've got any tips for Kilmore this Sunday as he's heading along with the family.
3: Well, Grant, I'll be on trackside this Sunday. I'm on trackside today, so all today's tips will be on trackside 1 until 5. I'm on trackside tomorrow, 12 until 6. So all Saturday's tips will be there as well. And then I'm on Trackside Sunday, 11 until 6. Goodness. <laughs> so then all Sunday's tips will be on there too. So, um, But Grant, just send me a DM or reply to everyone. I'll give you a full rundown of the card and how to shop and how to go about it.
5: There you go, Grant. That is silver service right there. What about best bets around the country tomorrow?
3: Right, I'll run through probably each each state for you. Uh, clearly the best on the card. I've tipped this here before. I've tipped it on air before. Uh, race 10, number five, Jimmy Star, proper horse this. Won a stack on it at Bendigo Cup Day. Cranbourne, race ten, number five, Jimmy Starr. Doombin, race ten, number seventeen, Liquor. At the end of the day, uh, with a Q. Um, right, we go to Morfordville, race nine, number two, Pressed Down. Late in the day as well, race nine, number two, Pressed Down. And then Kembla Grange, race nine, number three, Emperor was going to be running at uh, Doombin, elected to run at Kembla instead. So Jimmy Star, Liquor, Pressed Down, Emperor. And then, of course, at Ascot, we're going to go with Diamond Scene there in the first as the best on that card. But uh, I'll be on tomorrow. I've got value plays. I think we're going to shop a few. Scalopini. I'm going to back. Uh, the map I'm going to back at Morfordville. We're going to back Brave Me at Cranbourne. We've got bets going everywhere tomorrow. We're going to have a bit of a crack.
5: Well, what date's your birthday?
3: The 30th. What? Oh, that's next week. Yeah, next week. There you go, next Friday. Yep. Is that next Friday? Next, next next Thursday. I think I'm on track side. So next Thursday.
5: It. So you're a good uh you're a good Sagittarian as
3: well. Sagittarius. Oh, I, don't all know the what, best
5: people. I don't know what that means. Uh well travelled, independent, good looking, all t- those t- sort of things. Please, Jules. We all we, <laughs> please please don't, don't, Ollie, come on, please
3: don't tell me. Are you serious? December eight for me. No, but are you serious that you'd you'd listen to that? <laughs> no, not at all. Oh not, no, I'll tell you what. It's the biggest red no, flag. No, you remember, no. I got to when Mel- it's positive, I'll take it. When I got to Melbourne it started trying to get back into the dating scene, right? And I was going around, and you're on your, your little profiles, and um, I was flicking around. If I sat down and someone next to me said, "What star sign are you?" I it, would, I flag? would, I was throwing the. Hundred on the table, thank you very much. Nice to meet you, lovely. But if you've got crystals or believe in if you've got crystals or believe in star signs, you need your head wrecked or a fair income. Ah, they're lost, no doubt about
5: that. <laughs> uh, 50s Form coming up midday on SEN track. What's gambling really costing you for free and confidential support? Visit gamblinghelponline.org.au Miles, you've got a busy weekend coming yep. up. Enjoy.
3: Thanks, mate. Thank you.
5: And remember, on Sunday morning too at 10am, listen to This Is Your Journey. Sammy Edmund talks to the legendary, the first full-time AFL recruiter, Noel Judkins. All thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. So a couple of his most famous picks, pick 79, James Hurd, pick 58, Dane Swan. That's nice to have on the CV. Have a listen to that on Sunday morning. This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Let's get the latest now from the newsroom with Monique Dews. Welcome back to the show, the JDH Hockey One League finals this week, and it all comes down to this, the National Hockey Centre in Canberra. Tickets at hockeyone.com.au, and if you can't get there, catch every final live and free on 7 Plus. One man that knows plenty about the sport, he was a superstar for the Kookaburras, and he'll be calling all the action this weekend, is Simon Orchard, who joins us. G'day, Simon.
7: G'day, Jules. Thanks for having me on the show, mate. Looking forward to a big couple of days of JDH Hockey 1 action. I reckon it's been the biggest and the best season so far, mate. And hopefully these last two days in Canberra, they can break a record for the attendance down there and hopefully we can see some wonderful winners as well.
5: Yeah, what sort of attendance are we expecting?
7: Well, Canberra broke the record, I reckon, about a month ago. had a tick over 2,000 people there. That was for uh, about round five of the season. But the Canberra Chill women, gee whiz, the Chillies as we know them, they are absolutely (laughs) airborne and they are doing some really good stuff. They're playing just such an attacking brand of hockey jewels, and they've got these three Irish imports, they've got a Kiwi at the back as well, who all bring something different to the fray, and they are just taking the league by storm. So I guarantee, I'm almost willing to put my life on it, that tomorrow when they play their semi-final against the New South Wales Pride Women, that the record will absolutely be obliterated. So I cannot wait to see a full hill there at Canberra, and hopefully the Chilis... And the Pride can put on a real show as well.
5: Yeah, love the format. It all comes down to one weekend. So you've got the semi-finals, then the finals, the third and fourth playoff. Let's start with the women. As you mentioned, uh, the second of the semifinals is between the Pride and the Chill. And then you've got the top of the table, Brisbane Blades uh, Blade, Sorry, playing the Perth Thundersticks. Uh, who are you expecting to, to reach the final?
7: Well, it's interesting, Jules. The Blaze absolutely thumped the Thundersticks about six days ago up there in Brisbane. I think it was 6-2 or 6-3 in the end, and it was a really dominant performance. But Perth, welcome back a couple of real stars. Rach Frush is one of the captains. Carrie Somerville is a Tokyo Olympian. So they come back into the back half, and they're surely going to steal up that defence uh, really interesting, the Perth girls only conceded five goals in the first six games of the league and then last week, yeah, Brisbane put the cleaners to them. So I can almost guarantee that will not happen uh, this time around. I reckon it's going to be a dour, defensive-minded game, two really good goalkeepers for both sides and uh, an array of Australian players smattered throughout both teams. Steph Kershaw is one to watch for the Brisbane Blaze. She's an attacking midfielder. She's been on the scoreboard a little bit in the last couple of rounds. She breaks lines. She's an exciting type and... Uh, really looking forward to watching her play. So I think Brisbane Blaze maybe just have the edge. I know the bookies are favoring them at the moment. And in terms of the other girls' game, well, it's almost a pick 'em. Jules. I mentioned the Chilis and the momentum that they have. The New South Wales Pride women have been really attacking. They're pressing, playing aggressive, an aggressive style of hockey. They've got some real stars in. Uh, Greta Hayes has had a wonderful tournament. Mariah Williams is is a star. And Caitlin Knobs, how's this for pedigree? Her father, Michael Knobs, went to the 84 Olympics. Her mother... Lee Cape scored in the gold
1: medal game
7: for the Hockey Roos in 88. And her uncle, Mark Horrible-Hagar, well, he's one of the best to ever do it. He's the second highest goal scorer in Kookaburra's history. So Caitlin Knobbs, born to play, (laughs) is just emerging as a real international star. She's already really, really good. But I reckon she's been the best player of the tournament so far.
5: That is pedigree Uh, right there. We're speaking to former Kookaburra Simon Orchard, uh, the Hockey One League finals this weekend up in Canberra. Okay, let's turn our attention to the men, uh, the New South Wales Pride have had a great season, finished top of the table. They take on the Tassie Tigers uh, in their semi final. And then the second of the semi final is the Brisbane Blaze. So the men also had a great season up against the mighty hockey club Melbourne. Who do you like in those two matches? I'll tell you what, Jules, the New
7: South Wales Pride, they are like the Harlem Globetrotters <laughs> hockey, uh, undefeated, undefeated in the Hockey 1 league. So they won the first one, they won. Season two last year, and so far this year it's been smooth sailing for them. But I made a pretty big call that I'm regretting this morning on Tassie Radio. I said, if Tasmania beat New South Wales, I will run nude down Salamanca. So oh,
5: come on, getting, come on, New I'm South Wales.
7: Yeah, please. For the people of Tasmania, that's mate, right. They don't want to see me <laughs> uh, nude at all. So anyway, look, I think Tassie actually match up really well. So on paper you might think all right New South Wales would be like a dollar twenty, but has beat them last year in the rounds and this year in the rounds they went to a shootout so it was uh, a draw at full time, and the shootout has become such a wonderful part of hockey. It's uh, attacker versus goalkeeper from the twenty five eight seconds on the clock, and it's brought some real theatre to the game, and it's one of the best features of the of the J D H hockey one. So look, I think New South Wales deserved favourites. They've got. A plethora of stars. They've got the best coach in the business as well, and they've just got attacking options all over. So I'm picking New South Wales to win that semi. And in the other one, Brisbane up against Hockey Club Melbourne. Look, I'd love to see Hockey Club Melbourne uh, make it through, but just because of the nature of the schedule, uh, the Junior World Cup for hockey is on in the next couple of weeks, and Melbourne lose three of their best players, Cooper Burns, Craig Murray... Uh, and Liam Henderson all go out. And although they're young players, they have made a, a real difference to that side. They missed out on the finals last year. Full credit to the team and Andrew Smith for making it this year. But I just think it's a bridge too far. and Brisbane will advance. Uh, and then New South Wales will just wipe the floor with them, mate. It's as easy as that.
5: As a born and bred New South Welshman, that is not true that you <laughs> want to see Melbourne make the final. That is a lie.
7: <laughs> <laughs> i tell you what. I, and I, At the risk of offending our a great Melbourne audience out there, I must admit, Melbourne sports people at times, at times, uh, have this persona of being just a little bit soft around the edges. But oh. Hockey Club Melbourne, hey, hey,
5: hey, 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 where's that come uh, from?
7: Here we go. They have shown some real steel. They have shown some real determination, uh, and they've actually they've had to ride a few bumps throughout the season. So I'm giving you a maybe a backhand compliment. Backhand. Here, up. I love yeah. what Hockey Club Melbourne have done this year, but I think sadly, their uh, run is going to come to an end in the semis.
5: So you mentioned the shootout there, A bit of a, maybe a bit of an ignorant question. How long has that penalty shootout style been in the sport?
7: Well, the JDH Hockey One League has brought it in in a different aspect. Uh, I think it's been around 10 years in the international game where at the end of full time, no golden goal anymore, no extra time, straight to a shootout. So if anyone watched the last Tokyo Olympics, the Kookaburras went down to Belgium mm. in a shootout Uh, after uh, regulation time. But in the JDH Hockey 1, a new aspect came in last year where a field goal was scored and then the player who scores gets to have a shootout against the goalkeeper. So essentially one goal can become two. Uh, A penalty corner is still just worth the one goal, but it just added that extra flavour which has uh, been in vogue in the JDH Hockey 1 league the last couple of years. Shootouts... Are a wonderful part of it. They bring that interesting dynamic goalkeeper versus player. There's a lot of pressure on, the pressure of the clock, of course, eight seconds, and I guarantee over the next two days we will see plenty of shootouts, and it might even decide one of these grand finals as well.
5: Yeah, it's definitely exciting to watch. Okay, so it comes down to Sunday, 3.30 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time is the women's grand final, and then 5.30 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time is the men's grand final. Give us your two premiers, please.
7: Oh, look, New South Wales won both men's and women's titles last year. I think it's going to be a case of the same thing. I know I'm a New South Wales man. and People will shout from the rooftops that you are biased, but I just think they're the best team, Jules. The boys, as I said, almost unstoppable. The girls, look, that could go a bunch of different ways, but I just think with the benefit of having some really good Australian hockey roos in the mix, and New South Wales women are going to be hard to beat as well.
5: Uh, It's a great format, and the finals will be fantastic. Uh, Great to have you part of the show, Simon. Uh, Enjoy all the action on the weekend, and uh, we're pretty confident down here that uh, (laughs) Hockey Club Melbourne will just go bang, bang and win the title. (laughs)
7: I'd love to see it, mate, but we will see. Thanks for having me here, everyone.
5: Uh, Simon Orchard, uh, he's an absolute ripper. So, JDH Hockey One League finals. So, tickets at hockeyone.com.au. If you can't get up to Canberra or you're not in Canberra, catch every final live and free on 7 Plus.